This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing making people's lives better. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. From Gaza, we have about uh, one and a half minutes to go to a shelter. But if we will be attacked from the north, from Syria, we have uh, less than one minute. For almost two weeks, the rocket warning sirens have been ringing regularly in Israel. Where does that leave the elderly and disabled? I'll talk to Ellie Landau of the Israeli Pensioners Party. It's a dilemma that makes the headlines all too often. A patient with a deadly form of cancer can't get access to a potentially life-saving drug. A national drug approval body was created to prevent that from happening. But now a new report says it is actually delaying the approval of new cancer drugs. I'll talk about that research with Dr. Nigel Rawson. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Statistics Canada has put a number on Canadians' life expectancy gains. We've added 25 years in the last century. The average Canadian's life expectancy at birth is 81.7, up from 57 in 1921. That's a gain of 25 years, and it's mostly attributed to major reductions in infant mortality, thanks to immunizations and new medicines. And fewer people are dying from disease before the age of 75. But while our lifespans continue to grow, progress is slowing, due in part to the lack of a blockbuster breakthrough like the discovery of penicillin. Meanwhile, a downside to our longer lives is the increased risk of Alzheimer's disease. Now, researchers in Montreal have discovered a genetic variation that delays its onset by as much as five years. They say it's the gene that regulates cholesterol, and that is already the focus of much research and a target for drug development. The study in molecular psychiatry says about a quarter of the population carries this variation, but a drug could be developed to mimic its effect. We all know genes are something we have in common with family members, but new research suggests we may be genetically similar to our close friends as well. Scientists involved in the Framingham Heart Study analyzed the genetic data of nearly 2,000 subjects. They kept track of which people were friends and which people were strangers and found that on average pairs of friends were more genetically similar than pairs of strangers. On average, the study finds that friends are as genetically related as fourth cousins. Big news for Beatles fans. Hollywood director Ron Howard has announced he will be directing a documentary on the Fab Four with the full cooperation of Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, and Yoko Ono. Apple Corps Limited, White Horse Pictures, and Imagine Entertainment will produce the authorized documentary. 
The film will highlight the group's touring years, which ended in a final public appearance in San Francisco's Candlestick Park in 1966. And the filmmakers are asking for help from Beatles fans. They're looking for rare or unusual footage, photographs, and audio recordings, particularly those that highlight the fan experience. What was it like to be part of that frenzy? If you have any amateur footage, you can submit it at www.thebeatlesliveproject.com. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Imagine being under attack from rockets. That has been the situation in Israel since the escalation nearly two weeks ago. From the time you hear that siren, you have a couple of seconds to get into a shelter. That's exactly what happened when our correspondent, Martin Himmel, was covering a dance for Israeli pensioners. Suddenly the air raid sirens go off, and when they go off, uh, you know, the younger people who are watching them say, look, we got to get you into the bomb shelter uh, in, the, uh, uh, in the adjacent building. So they, you know, they're, they're older and they, they're mobile. They're just not in a rush to go anywhere. And they start going and the younger people are nervous about it. And meanwhile, the Iron Dome rockets are blowing out uh, the incoming rockets in the sky. They get him into there. And I, I talked to them and I was filming them. And I said, you know, is it difficult to hear these sirens, you know, from what you came from? And they said, yes, it's very difficult. It brings back very bad memories. But look, you know, I survived a lot. I'm not going to get too freaked out over this. And after the sirens finished, they went right back and went back to dance and have a good time. That was only one incident. But there are plans in place to help older people get through the crisis. I reached Ellie Landau, a member of Haifa City Council, representing the Israeli Pensioners Party. There is an influence because old people, they are more lonely uh, and uh, they are by themselves and they are more afraid if we are under an attack or if something happened here in Haifa, we are organized like, to bring food to all the people ho- to homes uh, and to give them uh, all the medications that they need so they don't have to go to the uh, pharmacy so they don't have to go out and they can stay or in their homes or to go to a shelter. Have people been uh, upset, uh, worried? Well, sure they are upset, and uh, this, sure they are upset. They are helpless. They are not like young people that can run away. Does it bring back bad memories for them? Oh, sure, they bring back um, bad memories, because pl- plenty of those older people, they are they have memories from the Holocaust, and uh, sure, they, it brings them back to bad memories. Uh, sure. I hope uh, that there will be a ceasefire and, uh, and the peace will come back to our country. And, uh, but if not, we are ready for all. We are ready. Anything else? Any special programs for them or anything like that? Uh, yes, we have also uh, uh, plans of uh, evacuate people if, if some uh, shells will fall in Haifa and houses will, will be uh, falling down. So we have plans to uh, evacuate people and bring them to shelters uh, in, in schools or, or in other shelters. We are ready for this. Haifa is very, very ready for the war. 
My understanding is that now in Israel, in uh, modern buildings, uh, they have these reinforced rooms in uh, yes, in every most, apartment. Right. Most in the new houses that were built in the end of the 20th century, all the houses have now shelters. But the old houses, they don't have it. Haifa is, a, is, is not a, a new city. Haifa is already more than 100 years old. And the old city of Haifa is, goes, goes back five and 600 years. Downtown Haifa, most of the houses, they don't have shelters. Is it more of a problem for people who have to get to the reinforced room in their own apartment or people who have to go elsewhere? It's a problem for all people to go to, to go to three or four uh, floors floor down and to go to a shelter. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a problem because you have only, let us say, from, from, uh, from Gaza, we have about uh, one and a half minutes to go to a shelter. But if we will be attacked from the north, from Syria, we have less than one minute. Mm-hmm. So uh, that must be very frightening for people who can't move that yes. quickly. Yes, yes, yes. Haifa is uh, one of the few places in Israel where uh, both the Arab and the Jewish populations seem to get along better. Are there plans in place for the Arab population as well as for the Jewish population? This is the same plans. The same plans. For Arabs or for, or for Jews is the same. We have here in Haifa, we had about 19% of the population is Arab. 19%. So yeah. uh, there's no problem with uh, mixing no, no, of the plants? No, no problem. No, no. So th- that's an example of uh, good cooperation between the two populations. Right, right. There's a very good co- cooperation between the Jews and the Arabs here in Haifa. We live uh, about, uh, we live very, very, very good life together. Mm-hmm. We mix together, we go, we, we go to their restaurant, and they come to our restaurants, we buy in their shops, and they buy in our shops. It's, it's the relationships here in Haifa between the Jews and the Arabs is very good. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate You're that. You're welcome. That was Ellie Landau, a Haifa city councillor. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Getting diagnosed with a terminal illness isn't scary enough. Imagine if doctors told you that your best treatment option was a drug that wasn't yet approved for use in Canada. Dr. Nigel Rawson will explain why the body that was supposed to fix this is actually making things worse. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. The idea was to give all Canadians equal access to cancer drugs and to make that happen as quickly as possible. That was behind the creation of the Pan-Canadian Oncology Drug Review in 2010. But a new report from the Fraser Institute finds that this organization has unnecessarily delayed the approval of oncology drugs by adding a layer of bureaucracy. Dr. Nigel Rawson, the author of the study, dropped by our Liberty Village studios to discuss his findings. The body was established uh, to try to bring clarity, consistency to the review of these drugs 
so that there was a degree of consistency in the evaluation of them. Right, so that uh, you wouldn't have a a case where a drug is approved in Ontario and not approved in British Columbia. Uh, That was the theory, yes. Uh, But we still have cases where drugs are approved in one province and not in others. Correct. Um, The Pan-Canadian Oncology Drug Review makes uh, recommendations to the provinces and territories other than Quebec, uh, because Quebec doesn't participate, but um, the provinces aren't uh, mandated to take that recommendation. So some provinces take the recommendation uh, more openly than others, and some take it more quickly than others. Is there an average for the length of time it takes PCODER, the pan-Canadian review body, to decide on a drug? Yeah, they take uh, 50% of those drugs are reviewed within six to seven months. And then it goes to the provinces? And then, in theory, it goes to the provinces, yes, who, who do further reviews. Okay, so what is your conclusion? Is, is this body effective and does it help patients? Um, I think this body provides uh, consistent and, and clear reviews and, and they go to great lengths to do that and provide transparency, provide patient input. But then their recommendation isn't mandatory on the provinces. So the provinces then, uh, it, it doesn't really benefit p- patients because... Some provinces, particularly the western provinces, will take those drugs quite often, but uh, the eastern provinces don't. And why do you think that is? Partly money. Um, These drugs are often expensive, um, so I think that makes some difference. Um, There may be a different philosophy too. Are you saying this says that patients are suffering because of this body? I'm saying that that there seems to be little benefit from an organisation that spends a fair amount of time reviewing drugs quite well at taxpayers' expense. We don't know quite how much that is because they don't report budgets. But um, you have a, an idea? They don't have a huge staff, but they must be. I don't think we're talking about eHealth Ontario, but, uh, but we're talking, we're talking uh, quite a lot of dollars, I would imagine, yes. The, the uh, negative recommendations, the provinces take up quite well. They don't, they don't fund them. But the positive recommendations are sort of maybe sometime, whenever. And as as a result, um, the inequalities in access to cancer drugs across this country continue to exist. I'm saying it adds to the delays in access. The patients for these new drugs often are patients with uh, a limited life expectancy. And so if you delay uh, approval in terms of coverage by six to seven months, a province then takes another 12 months to review it before they'd consider approving it. That patient could be dead by then. I have trouble seeing what the value of this new body is if the provinces aren't going to accept its recommendations. Uh, I don't see it adding benefit to patients. Uh, do you see it causing extra harm to patients? Uh, I could see it causing extra harm in terms of delays. Um, I know from a previous work that uh, delays of even a few months in, in drugs can means that patients, just quite a lot of patients, thousands of patients, don't get access to these drugs. Do you think that people are dying because this body is taking extra time? I think it's quite likely. I mean, it, you know, again, it's difficult to prove that, but I would think it's quite likely. Do you think that this body would be a good idea if the provinces had to follow its recommendations? Yes, I think if, if, if the provinces were required to follow its recommendations within a reasonable period of time, I suggested in my report 120 days, that they should accept them within to their uh, cancer formularies, um, and it should be uh, consistent across the country. 
if that was the case, then the provinces wouldn't need to spend time and money on their own approving the drugs. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Right, because we're, we're, we're seeing duplication. Um, Health Canada looks at the clinical benefits of these drugs. Uh, the Pan-Canadian Oncology Drug Review looks at the clinical benefits of these drugs plus the economics. Then the provinces themselves look at the, 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 the same recommendations. They look at the economic benefits, obviously how it's going to impact their budget. So there's a lot of duplication across this country in, in terms of these evaluations. Uh, and that delays access. Okay. Nigel Rawson, thanks so much. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. This week, the Broadway icon Elaine Stritch passed away at the age of 89. In just a moment, we'll look back at her life and hear one of her signature Broadway tunes. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your International Arts Datebook. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, see a retrospective of the world's most famous living artist. Ai Weiwei, according to what, is at the Brooklyn Museum amid ongoing restrictions to his freedom. The Beijing native lived in New York's East Village from 1981 to 1993. The show has some additions since it was at the AGO here in Toronto, a room-sized inventory of the possessions of a harassed woman's rights advocate, and a sextet of uncompromising dioramas of Ai's detention. In Massachusetts, award-winning soprano Renee Fleming plays an opera singer in the world premiere of Joe Pietro's Living on Love. It's at the Williamstown Theatre Festival until July 26th. To London, England, where the National Gallery presents Making Colour, an exhibition examining the history of colour in art. Visitors are taken on a journey back in time, exploring the wide range of materials that have been used to create colour, not just in paintings, but in all types of art. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Date Book. This week, we said goodbye to Elaine Stritch. The iconic, Tony Award-winning Broadway actress and singer was well-known for her bold, brash attitude. Elaine Stritch made her Broadway debut in 1946, starring in the musical Loco. In 1950, she worked as Ethel Merman's understudy in Call Me Madam and went on to take the lead role for the national tour. Through the 50s and 60s, she starred in countless productions. Her most famous role came in 1971 when she starred in Stephen Sondheim's musical Company. It brought Elaine her signature tune, The Ladies Who Lunch. While the stage was her true professional home, she also appeared in films, including Woody Allen's September in 1987 and Small Time Crooks in 2000. On TV, Stritch had a recurring role in the comedy 30 Rock as the domineering mother of the television executive played by Alec Baldwin. Right now, we'll travel back to 1971 and hear Elaine Stritch in the original cast recording of Company. Here she is with the ladies who lunch. Here's to the girls who stay smart, aren't they a guest? Rushing to their classes in optical art, wishing it would pass. Another long, exhausting day, another thousand 
dollars A matinee, a pinter play Perhaps a piece of Mahler's I'll drink to that And one for Mahler Here's to the girls who play wife Aren't they too much? Keeping house but clutching a copy of life Just to keep in touch The ones who follow the rules And meet themselves at the schools Too busy to know that they're fools Aren't they a gem? Watch, aren't they the best? When they get depressed, it's a bottle of scotch plus a little jest. Another chance to disapprove, another brilliant singer, another reason not to move, another vodka stinger. So here's to the girls on the go, everybody tries. Look into their eyes and you'll see what they know, everybody dies. A toast to that invincible bunch, the dinosaurs surviving the crunch. Let's hear it for the ladies who lunch, everybody rise. That was Elaine Stritch with The Ladies Who Lunch, her signature song from the 1970 Stephen Sondheim musical Company. Elaine Stritch passed away this week at the age of 89. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Come back next week when we talk to nutritionist Rosie Schwartz about the proposed new rules for letting us know how much sugar is in the foods we buy. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Vandriel. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.